St. Dominic's Catholic Church in San Francisco presents a homily by Father Albert Perensky on May 12, 2019, the fourth Sunday of Easter. Today's Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to John, chapter 10, verses 27 to 30, proclaimed by Deacon Charles McNeil. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can take them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can take them out of my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. The Gospel of the Lord. Paul and Barnabas preach, and somehow people believe that Jesus not only was man, but God, and that God had raised him from the dead. This has been a puzzle for me. What exactly moves people to believe that? You can hear the words, but what does that mean? And this is something that goes all the way back to my childhood, because when I was very young, I did not believe in God. This was not a five or six-year-old making a rejection of God. There was simply no faith there because it was not part of my upbringing. And we all respond to how we are brought up. We believe the things our parents do and say, as well as the community that we live in. And my family was secular Jewish, my father being basically anti-Christian as well as anti-religion in general, but for him Christianity was simply a body of superstitions, something that people of reason in the 20th century should long ago have outgrown and that we live by the light of human knowledge. And as a consequence, even though we might observe a few holidays, like the High Holy Days or Passover, I saw no connection between the actual celebrations and any god that was supposed to be honored. It was all nonsense, I believe. And all I knew about Jesus was that in grade school, and even on into junior high, we would sing Christmas carols every Christmas, and these were the only references I ever had to Jesus. The little Lord Jesus lays down his sweet head, but that meant nothing to me. And I did not see initially any connection between Jesus of Christmas and Jesus of Easter. 
So before God my, got my attention at the age of 20, I would wonder how on earth anyone would think that Jesus is God, and that he suffered terribly, after which God raised him from the dead. What did those first disciples see, think, feel? What moved the people that Paul and Barnabas preached to, to accept that the man Jesus was God and raised from the dead? And we can fast forward to the 20th century and ask, well, why does anyone who has not been raised in a devout Christian household come to believe in Jesus beyond the bare assertion that he plays some sort of role in human history? What moves them? And as with so many questions of this sort, the place where I come back to is, how did the child who sang Christmas carols but didn't understand the meaning, how did the mocking teenager with no concept of what or who God might be come to be standing here in a Catholic church and talking about Christ killed, Christ raised? It certainly wasn't the Bible. That all came a lot later. And it wasn't a desire to live forever, even if, other mockers will say people believe in God and resurrection and all the rest because they're afraid of death and want to live forever. I didn't have that fear. You don't when you're very young. And if you had asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would have answered, I want to be changed into someone else. I don't like who and what I am. I don't like the way I behave. I don't like the fact that I seem to stumble through this world. I want to be somebody completely different. I wanted to be changed into a better person, a nobler person, and where that came from largely was from certain stories that I read when very young and on into my early teens in which there were people who found support in the time of need that actually changed them and made them into something different, better, nobler. And in this way, they learned the fullness of their humanity, not simply what it means to be an adult, but what it means to be fully human. Now, of course, modeling yourself on a character in a book or a play or a movie is not the same as learning to be human from real, live human beings. It's kind of hard to imagine what we would be like without any human contact or without contact with any living creature because we are human only in relationship to one another and we know the world only in relationship to all of the creatures living and even not living in this universe of ours. And it all begins at birth. As soon as we are born, our first contact with another human being is our mother. And then from there, it goes usually to father, to sisters and brothers, to family, to family friends, and all of those who come in contact with us. And we grow, even if you don't necessarily see that in a very tiny baby, but we do at that moment start growing into learning how it is to be human. And there are unfortunate people who don't grow up in such an environment from the start, and we will say, oh, poor Sally, poor Jack, so stunted, 
never failed, has failed ever to learn social skills and can't express love or even friendship properly, the consequence of not having learned to be fully human. But the process of becoming human continues into adulthood and into old age. It never really stops. And you can perhaps see this most clearly in married couples or friends who have been one, with one another for 40, 50 years, how they become more and more like one another, that they learn their humanity from the other person. And people who are close tend to become more and more like one another, especially couples who grow old together, so that it's very hard sometimes to distinguish one from the other. So we pick up characteristics of friends, of teachers. We're in the military. We pick them up from our military companions, our drill sergeants. And also, we pick them up from what we encounter in the books that we read, or anyone or anything that has an influence in our lives. Now, in my teens, my assumptions about the nature of the world and a world that did not have to depend upon any god began to be challenged, first by writers that I enjoyed reading, but more importantly, the contact with various people who would reinforce what it was that I read. And these were friends of various kinds, people from different walks of life, not all of them necessarily Christian, and they never preached, but they all of them showed by the example which was born of their experience of the world and everything in life that had transformed and changed them, that they belonged to a moral universe. They belonged to a universe in which everyone had meaning, everything had meaning, that the relationship that we have with one another depends upon how we treat one another and how we treat the world around us, not because they fear punishment from some wrathful God, but that it is built into this universe that everyone and everything is responsible ultimately for one another. And I can't possibly name all of these people, but one was a graduate student in biochemistry, a Jesuit scholastic who became my bridge partner when I was an undergraduate. And I, even through teasing him, began to see that there was a different way of looking at the world. My oldest and dearest friend was somebody who had spent his childhood in a Soviet concentration camp and came out not bitter but with an enlarged understanding of human experience and the necessity to love and to care. A woman who had managed to get her husband out of Dachau and also out of Austria through great striving and difficulty. All of these people had qualities that I sought. They had a nobility of purpose born of a deep sense of that moral universe that I just referred to and that they belonged to it and all of these people were responsible for one another and for the larger world and for the well-being of all who came into their lives and the well-being well of the world in which they lived. And then these encounters led me to ask, was this moral universe held together by what some people called God? And I had to know. And through a long process, I came to a point 
where I was forced to make a decision. Can I possibly entertain the, the possibility that this God really is out there waiting to get into my life? And in an unguarded moment, I let him in, after which my life was never the same. And yet, it was not the end of all things. These people that I referred to, not all of them were Christian, but all reflected the qualities of the true image of God, which is imprinted on all human beings. And did this image show that God somehow had transformed human flesh? He had entered into the reality of our human being by taking on that human flesh he entered into the heart of all of the mess that we have made of our lives and allowed himself to be put to death in a horrible manner precisely because he cared so much about it, that he was the maker of this moral universe and that he was the one who had entered into that moral universe to ensure that it would go right and that he therefore transformed human flesh that we might be transformed. He was the one then that I was looking for, the one who could change me. And at that moment, I had to become a Christian. He speaks with a voice that has echoed down through the ages, and yet the world and every age has tried to drown out that voice. It tried to do so at the time of Israel. It tried to do so when in uh, Jesus walked this earth and when the first disciples were preaching that the voice of the world tried to drown them out and the world still tries to do it. The world has all sorts of suggestions like you're being deceived, you're being deluded, there is nothing at the end or you really want to change? Follow this path of meditation that I am offering to you. Follow this particular diet. Follow this particular exercise, and all of this will change you. And the world tries to convince us that somehow death is a dysfunction that can be overcome by right meditation, right diet, right exercise. And then we come to the end and the world says, oh, yep, sorry, made a mistake, and goes on to the next. And yet we collectively never learn, and each generation falls prey to that voice of the world. And yet, God constantly is calling to us. God is constantly giving voice to all who have accepted that call to be able to speak with a voice, the voice of Jesus, which calls to all in the world who are also somehow taken up by the voice of the world and say, come out of that. You can truly be transformed and changed. His voice called out at the beginning of creation, making something there where there was nothing. His voice called to Israel, making a people where there had been no people. His voice called Peter and Andrew and John and the rest and made them into something that they had not been, fully human, by giving, him, by giving them his very life. And down through the ages it echoes, and his voice has called and touched every single person here. His voice also touched me. And I found the one who could change me, make something out of my nothing, make me human, because he was fully human. 
And I still didn't want to live forever just to be made better. And that meant accepting his love and accepting becoming part of that moral universe of which all of these people before me and all of those whom I encountered were a part. And at the heart of this moral universe was the cross of Christ until the very end of time, standing there, holding everything together. We, each of us here, are agents of Christ's humanity. We are the voice of Christ, whereby we are charged to enrich the lives of others through our words, through our actions, to give them a glimpse of what they can truly be and arouse a longing for it and what they can be, not what the world says you could be if you just followed my voice. Though we cannot know the totality of human diversity, we do ourselves and others no favor by shutting out people we consider beyond the pale. They are more like us than you might want to think. Prick them, and do they not bleed? Touch them by your own transformed humanity, because if you refuse to do so, you cannot ask, why do people not believe in God? Why do some not accept Jesus? The answer to my question, that is why I accept Christ crucified and raised, why I want, with all of my imperfections, to continue to live as a part of him, because I have found what I want to be when I grow up, and what comes next is in the hands of God.